Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday morning. Happy Hump Day to you all. It is June the 8th, 2022. It is 7.03 on your Tucson Wednesday, and uh, you're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. We are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show, and uh, we have a, a great show planned for you today. Lots of topics to get into Lots of NFL today, actually, uh, interestingly enough. I mean, every day we talk NFL here on the Jeff Dean Show. That is my promise to you. But there's a lot of NFL to get into today. Not only a topic that I had decided that I wanted to pull out. I, I, I thought about this topic last week while I was out um, and then decided, I was like, well, let's, let's go ahead and just roll it out here on Wednesday and, and uh, we'll give it some discussion. And so I have that along with some news today. Uh, there's some news, Wildcat news, local news. We'll, of course, talk NBA, NHL, and anything else that's on the docket. We're going to be talking Arizona Cardinals. Now, if you were listening to the promos on the radio station uh, throughout the last 22 hours or so of the, uh, of the, of the, of the last two, a day or so, my, uh, my, promote, my promo for the upcoming show said that Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider, was going to be joining us at 7.30. The Cardinals changed their practice schedule late last night. Um, Tyler texted me, and uh, the Cardinals have moved up their schedule by an hour. So Tyler is actually going to join us at 8.30 today. So we'll talk Cardinals with our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake, at 8.30, not 7.30 today. So just a little FYI, a little programming note there. If you want to make yourself available at 8.30, if you want to check that out, he always brings the uh, the great info. And uh, even better today, he'll ha- you know he'll already be at the Cardinals facility uh, when we uh, when we talk to him. So. That'll be the latest and most updated news from Cardinal Camp. We have a pair of D-backs tickets to give away today. Be listening for your cue to call. That could happen between any time between now and the end of the show, which is in you know, an hour and 53 minutes. So uh, be prepared. Listening for your cue to call. You could win a pair of tickets to go see the D-backs play the Twins next Saturday up here in Phoenix. Uh, at the ballpark, and um, that's uh, June 18th. So be listening for your cue to call for that. Let literally happen at any point in time today. Um, please excuse me if, I, if I'm, I'm a little bit shook this morning as I donned the, uh, donned the headset and the microphone here to uh, talk with you guys for the next two hours because as I was retrieving my, uh, my cup of coffee that I keep you know, here on my desk uh, while, I'm, while I'm broadcasting the show just so I can kind of keep myself alert, uh, I I was getting ready to turn off the TV, and there was an argument going on between Stephen A. Smith and J.J. Redick. Now, normally, I, I mean, I can't stomach either of those guys, to be honest with you, but I find myself a little bit shook as I sat down to my to my dad after turning off the TV because it was time to, to go on the air, uh, because I found myself agreeing wholeheartedly with everything that Stephen A. Smith was saying. And... <laughs> I'm just—I wasn't prepared for that this morning. I wasn't—I'm I'm pretty much never prepared to agree with anything that Stephen A. Smith, anything that he says, let alone a hundred percent of what he says. Uh, but he and J.J. Reddick were having a very heated argument, um, and it got very personal. <laughs> it was, I was like, "Oh boy, these two are going to be on the same set later on today on ESPN. They—they're going to be co-hosting a show on set." 
And uh, that could get interesting because J.J. Redick was like he was trembling. He was so angry with Stephen A. because he took exception to some of the things that Stephen A. said. So I have marked that down as a potential topic to discuss today if we can get into that. Because, uh, you know, basically Stephen A. called out today's players, as did Mike Greenberg, the host of, of that, uh, that particular show that was on this morning. I, can't remember, I can never remember the name of the show. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but they were basically calling out today's players for being soft and constantly complaining about calls and worrying more about the officials than they are the game. And J.J. Redick just, like, he was, you ever, like, like we've all we've all been in a situation, whether it was in school or, uh, you know, any kind of, like, anytime there's a fight, uh, you know, between guys and um, somebody takes something personally, and all of a sudden some dudes, like, their, their posture changes, their voice changes, uh, they start to get real trembly and shaky, and they have, a, you know, a difficult time. They shut the, you know, the listening portion of their brain down, and all they want to do is scream and yell and stuff like that. Like, that's how J.J. Reddick got this morning on the show. And uh, first of all, his argument was stupid and ridiculous and dumb. And it was, it, it, like, there was nothing, there was there was no truth to it at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> and Stephen A. was like, what are you talking about? Um, so we may get into that, uh, because I I agree. I, I think I think today's NBA players are soft. And uh, uh, I know that th- I probably sound like one of those get-off-my-lawn guys reminiscing of the good old days of the NBA and all this other stuff, but it's true. Like, <laughs> I, 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 it, it's hard to watch basketball with all the flopping and complaining that goes on in basketball, both at the college level and at the NBA level, to be honest with you. So we may get into that today. Um, hey, you know what? Let's do it. It's Wednesday. It's a, it's a, a, a test to see if you're awake. A wake-up Wednesday on this hump day. Let's go ahead and do the contest for the tickets right now. 520-719-1490 is the phone number. 719-1490. Caller number 3 at 719-1490 will win those tickets to go see the D-backs and the Twinkies play on June 18th, Saturday, June 18th. That's a pair of tickets uh, courtesy of your Tucson home for D-backs baseball. A long one yesterday is the... uh, game against the Reds. Not only 22 runs scored in the game, but lengthy rain delays in the game as well. Kind of throwing a wrench in the D-backs plans, plans for the rest of the week. Uh, so yeah, be caller number three right now. 520-719-1490. Good luck and enjoy the game. Uh, I, not exactly where to begin, to be honest with you. We may start with the NBA and kind of circle back around to it because game three is tonight in Boston. It has been confirmed that Scott Foster will be the lead official for tonight's game, which is going to make things even more interesting based on the conversation that I was uh, having with you guys yesterday in regards to whether Draymond will be allowed to you know, to continue his antics in this series, specifically on the road in Boston, or will the Boston fans kind of take over and have their say in how the game is officiated? Now, Scott Foster, obviously, you know, Suns fans are familiar with him because of his history with Chris Paul and the fact that Chris Paul can't seem to win a basketball game whenever Scott Foster's on the court with him. But Scott Foster runs a tight ship, and he is he is known to be a, a guy who is never swayed by the by the opposer or by the home team's fans. So uh, it could be interesting. This could be a situation where maybe Draymond is able to get away with a little more 
I don't know, antics, dead ball, uh, you know, goofing off, you know, kind of things that, that he does with the way that he gets under the opposing player's skin. Um, the, you know, it, it may open a window for him because of, of Scott Foster having that history of not being swayed by the home team's fans. Or it could go the other way if Scott Foster is looking to, um, how do you want to say, take the spotlight for himself, as many officials do in every sport, not just the NBA. All sports uh, officials seem to be wanting more and more of their own television time and to be able to influence games in their own way, which I cannot, I absolutely cannot stand. Um, but regardless, uh, so, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't come to, to, to watch you, you know, officiate a game, we came to watch athletes do cool stuff. Uh, so it, it could, it, I mean, it could change. And, and I hate the fact that, you know, we're talking about an official having an influence on the game this way. Like we're going to preview game three by saying, well, Scott Foster is going to be officiating the game tonight. So that could affect the outcome or affect the way that Draymond Green interacts with the opposing team. Like I hate that we're even having that conversation, but that's where we are in today's age of uh, professional sports. And unfortunately there are plenty of uh, officials out there and look, we, <laughs> we've seen it in the NFL, major league baseball with, umpires who continue to escalate situations uh i mean it happens all the time in major league baseball um you know you don't see it in the nhl too much uh there there you know have certainly been some um uh some real characters in uh, in nhl stripes before you know and, and over the years and stuff guys with uh, really cool hair and uh people who wanted to be real flashy with their calls and stuff like that. But I think for the most part, they kind of just keep like, I remember, I remember I was working for the coyotes in the season where officials were mic'd up for the first time. And I've told stories about, about that on the show before, but I remember the officials that 90% of them, maybe even, maybe even more than 90% of them. uh, But the, the large, large, vast majority of the officials did not enjoy being mic'd up they didn't want to address the crowd, uh, you know, in a, in a vocal manner. Most of them just wanted to make the call to the official score and the PA announcer and then move on, uh, you know, much the way that, that NBA officials do in the games. Now, this would be like, it, you know, this would be like the NBA miking up their officials and the official going to center court to say, we have, you know, uh, a strike to the head. On a on an attempted basket, the attempt was uh, was unmade. Two free throws awarded to Boston. Like that, that's it, it would take up way too much time, and, and uh, like all that is just kind of ridiculous. Uh, but they wanted to mic up the the refs in the NHL because I think they wanted to familiarize fans with the calls a little bit more. Um, they wanted to to get American fans a little bit more, you know, kind of involved in, you know, they, there was a new swell of, of younger fans who had, weren't really familiar with hockey. And I think that was like ultimately the reason why they went to it. I don't think, I don't think basketball needs that, especially, especially because basketball, it's just a foul. Like we had a foul, like there's no, you know, holding, you know, there's no hooking, boarding, there's no, you know, pass interference. It doesn't have to be explained in that way. It's just a foul. It's an offensive foul or it's a defensive foul. It's, if it's defensive foul, it's blocking. If it's an offensive foul, it's charging. Uh, and then there's, you know, shot fouls. It, it, I, I don't think you really need that kind of stuff. So um, hopefully they don't go to that type of situation. But I do remember the NHL officials, the, the vast majority of them, being really uncomfortable about addressing the crowd and turning the mic on and all that kind of stuff. They just wanted to make the call and get on with the game. 
which I appreciate. So we'll uh, we'll see. I, I I don't I don't know if if the Scott Foster you, you know effect. I'm not. I honestly don't know what effect it will have, if it will have any at all. Uh, but I'm saying that he, you know, he has a history of of you know having influence on games, and also a history of not allowing the home fans to influence the calls. So we'll, it could be a delicate little balance today or tonight, I guess you'd say, in Boston as the Warriors and the Celts both tied at one apiece as uh, they get ready for Game Three of the NBA Finals. I'm, I'm interested to see what. When the dust settles, what the uh, what the ratings were on this particular NBA Finals, I don't think it's going to be very favorable, to be honest with you. I think a lot of the fans feel the way that I do, feel the way that Stephen A. and, and Greeny do about this, and that's that the NBA has become soft, that there are way too many fouls called in the game, there are way too many moments of of potential excitement that are then quelled by some kind of a call and and you know there are so many instances in games where momentum is is just brought to a, a screeching halt because of some ridiculous foul call and the fact that that players are basically allowed to intentionally foul another player to keep them from getting an easy basket is just like <laughs> i there's not enough discipline in the NBA they just players are just allowed to get their six fouls and just keep going on and there's no real I just don't I I feel like there's no real discipline if a if a player makes a steal at midcourt you can grab them around the ankles and trip them and keep them from getting a breakaway dunk and it's just a regular common foul like what in the rule books it literally states that an intentional foul is any foul made on a player without any intent to play the ball I, I mean how is that, how is that a, a situation where you're playing the ball? You're just grabbing somebody by the ankles to keep them from getting a breakaway dunk after you dribbled the ball off your foot. I just, I don't, I, I hate it. I don't get it. I don't understand why there's not enough discipline in that league. And it's, look, it's just, it's a, it's a league that's been completely overrun by, I, I guess, just players just getting away with, whatever they want. And the, the the other problem with that is, the antithesis problem with that is, is if another team or another player decides to take matters into their own hands to essentially enforce a, a, a disciplinary action against a player for doing something, then that player gets the hook. <laughs> like, I, you know, in, in and I, I hate to keep comparing it to the NHL, but really they are very close cousins. They're, they're you know, they're very similar outside of the fact that it is much more difficult to score in the NHL than it is in the NBA. Other than that, you got five on five, it's back and forth. The you know the, the courts and the rink sizes are somewhat similar, and even though the speed of the game is very different in the way that it's played and such, and the size of the puck is, you know, one eightieth the size of the goal as opposed to in basketball where it's, you know, less than one half. Um, it's, you know, it, it, they're very, very similar in, in, in many ways. And in the NHL, you're allowed to enforce these types of things. Now, I granted, I'm not saying that we need to see a bunch of people fighting on the NBA court. I don't, as much as people like to say, like, oh, they're fighting. I don't like to see fights. You know what I want to see? I want to see a fast-paced, up-and-down game. Like, that's what I want to see. That's what I love watching about the NHL. 
uh, especially since they got rid of the blue line trap rule and the New Jersey Devils from the 80s and the 90s who just would just completely muck up games and make it the ugliest scene in, in, on planet Earth. Um, you know, they, they've allowed more open space and more speed in the game. I want to see back and forth. I want to see action, man. I want to see... Uh, I want to see good basketball being played. I want to see good hockey being played. Good basketball being played is not grabbing some guy around the ankles to trip them to keep them from performing one of the great spectacles in sports, which is a breakaway dunk in the NBA. We want to see the superstars take flight. You know, I think I remember having this conversation. Oh my God, this was this was when I was a child. Like I remember, I remember talking with. Um, I, I don't remember who I was talking with. I, I remember having the conversation, though. And we were watching the dunk contest, and I was like, ooh. You know, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, like, why am I not as excited watching the dunk contest and watching these guys do these amazing things and windmills and backwards dunks and, you know, throw the ball off the backboard and, and attempt free throw line jumps and all these kind of things. Why am I not as excited watching the dunk contest as I am just watching a guy just go up and throw a two-handed dunk down in a game. And therein lies the, you know, the real difference in that because one of them happens in the heat of competition, in the, you know, in the flow of a game that actually matters, and those two points actually matter. And you've got defenders trying to keep you from doing that and let you, know, let, you, know, let you are able to, to throw one down anyways. And that's where the excitement comes from just watching the game of basketball and watching a, a dunk happen in a game. Because your basic little two-handed dunk from the baseline is much more exciting than watching Jason Richardson go between the legs, behind the back, dunk like a, a ridiculous hanging in the air for mere seconds, flying through the air. The, the little two-handed dunk from the backup center in a game is more exciting than watching that. And it's because it happens all in the, the flow of a game, in, in, the, in, the, in the moments of when it actually matters. And I think that's, you know, that's where the NBA is kind of missing their mark. They continue to spotlight these, you know, these uh, skills competitions and stuff and, and dunk contests and shooting contests and everything, and it, 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 it's, it's an exhibition, and yeah, it should be fun, but what the NBA should be highlighting and spotlighting are those moments in the game for really incredibly you know, momentum-injecting, exciting moments and allowing players just to grab and hook and trip and stuff to keep something exciting from happening and then not being disciplined with an intentional foul for it is stupid. I don't understand. And, and if that player, I mean, hell, we saw it, you know, in the Arizona game, right against uh, against TCU with that play at, at midcourt where you know their guard slammed into you know uh, you know slammed into it was it was Pella, right? Uh, slammed into uh, Pella, or was it Dalen? Maybe it's Dalen. Slammed into Dalen Terry. I think it was Dalen actually. It slams into Dalen Terry at midcourt, or whatever. Loses loses track of the ball, turns it over, and then he wants to complain after intentionally fouling, I, like. I, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, I just I, I don't I don't like the way that basketball, uh, on, on you know at, at both levels at both the collegiate and the and the pro level, the way that they uh, I guess keep us from getting the true excitement in the game. 
like I said, just your basic little two-handed dunk is more exciting than watching some spectacular thing happen at the dunk contest. That's why the dunk contest, uh, uh, the ratings in the dunk contest are completely down, and a lot of guys don't even want to compete in it anymore. And fans have kind of flocked more to the three-point shooting contest, which has become more exciting than the dunk contest has. I don't know. Just my little two cents, I guess, if you will, in the in regards to the state of the NBA and, and just basketball in general. I love basketball. I, you know, I've said it many, many, many times on this show before. I absolutely love basketball. I think, I think it's a beautiful game. Uh, I would like to see it continue to be beautiful. The way that the game is played right now doesn't – it doesn't evoke any, you know, any real emotion from me. I just watch basketball, and it's not because of my age or because of how long I've been doing it or because it's my job. I still get a lot of enjoyment out of watching college basketball and the beauty of college basketball, and you know, in its, in in its amateurism with you know with a lot of players who will never play at the, at the next level that because they're just not as good as basketball players and that's fine it's you know that's why we have the levels that we have it's like saying high school to college college to pro uh but I, you know i enjoy the beauty of games you know when you watch a, a great football game or a great football scheme that just you know just looks like great football and the same with hockey and you watch baseball you watch a team who really understands the importance of getting uh, you know, runners in motion and stealing bases and taking advantage of situations and hit and runs and sacrifices and all those kinds of things, like watching a beautiful game of baseball. And, and, and like, basketball has just completely missed the mark, really. And, and unfortunately, you know, Steph Curry, I mentioned yesterday, you know, as, as great as Steph Curry is, I think a lot of it is because, you know, the way that he's changed the game of basketball, the focus has become – how far away can we shoot a ball and still score points? And you know, without really creating any kind of offense, you know, offensive flow at all. I'm just going to dribble up and launch this ball into the air. You know, not everybody can be Steph Curry. <laughs> I think we've seen that a lot. You know, there's Steph Curry is less than the one percent of people who have ever played the game of basketball. That's how unique he is. Stop trying to everybody be him. Uh, congratulations to John Fuentes of Morana. John Fuentes of Morana. Congratulations. John was our third caller and won himself a pair of tickets to go see the D-backs and the Twins. John, uh, for living in Morana, has actually a little bit of a shorter drive, so nice. Uh, that's, that's good on you, John. A little bit uh, shorter drive for you there, living in Morana. Don't have to drive through the city and stuff. Just get around the I-10 and head on up to the Valley next Saturday to take on, to watch the, uh, the D-backs take on the Twins. So congratulations. Enjoy the game. Thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, give me a report on how you think the PA announcer went because that's, that's, he's one of my employees, and I need to you know, razz him every chance I get. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll get into some Wildcat news. Some Wildcat athletes are going to be heading up to Eugene, not because they're transferring, but because they're going to be performing at the NCAA Track and Field Nationals over the next couple of days. Also, Wildcat football got another commitment yesterday. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. It's the Jeff Dean Show right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Boy, all kinds of things happening this morning. Try to get into those a little bit later. 
So today, several uh, Wildcat athletes are headed up to Eugene, Oregon for the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships. This is a big deal, obviously. Uh, you know, this is for all the marbles, and there are going to be a lot of athletes competing this week and this weekend that are going to be in the Olympics. Like, these are Olympic, uh, you know, grade athletes, and uh, U of A track and field coach Fred Harvey does a fantastic job uh, was talking about that. He said there's going to be athletes who are here that are going to be in the Olympics that are not going to make the finals in some of these events. And he's right. It happens every single, you know, every single year uh, as the outdoor track and field championships. Now, you can watch the, uh, the uh, track and field championships on ESPN networks. It's going to be on, like, all their networks spread out. Um, just kind of look at your, your local listings if you want to watch. But we'll give you some Wildcats that are going to be there this week, um, a couple that are going to be starting today and a couple that are going to be starting uh, with their, their heat uh, and their, their essentially their prelims tomorrow. Now, today, the, uh, the men are going to be, uh, they're going to be on, the, uh, on the center stage there. One of them is Jared O'Reilly. Uh, Jared is a javelin thrower, which you don't I, – I still – I love watching the javelin because the form at which they throw is just – it's incredible. And I, I also can never stop thinking about from Revenge of the Nerds with Lamar and his javelin and, you know, all the funny, you know, jokes that were made about that. But I always can see that, that, that you know, the wobbly javelin in his hands. It always makes me laugh. Uh, but O'Reilly is just one of three Pac-12 athletes to make the NCAA championships in the javelin throw. Um, so he'll be, he'll be going uh, today. He has the first of two javelin flights today in Eugene. Another Wildcat that is going to be performing in the prelims today is a, a young freshman from, uh, from Brazil, Reynaldo Rodriguez. He is a long jumper, and he'll be doing his first jump uh, also today uh, as well. But he is just a – he's a really, really young – as I mentioned, he's a, he's a freshman. He was in his first year at Arizona today – or this year. And um, he has – you know he's he's kind of on the fringe, so I know you know a lot of people aren't really expecting him unless he gets new personal bests to move on. But nonetheless, it's great to have you know a really really young player, a really young athlete, essentially uh, competing today. And again, hit one of his uh, um, one of his uh, jumps is going to be today. Uh, in fact, maybe both of them are today. Regardless, uh, we wish them all the best. And then tomorrow. Two of our lady athletes are going to be competing. Shannon Meisberger, she is a uh, she was the runner-up in the 400 meter hurdles last year. She is a world-class uh, uh, hurdle sprinter. Um, her senior best time this year was 56.39 seconds, um, which allowed her to qualify, obviously, for the championships. And she's one of the favorites going in there. She'll be competing tomorrow in her first race. And then uh, Taylor Bonds, who is also a hurdler. She is a 100-meter hurdler. She's a, a, a true sprinter. And she currently holds the fifth fastest time amongst all the qualifiers, ran a 12.85 in the 100-meter hurdle. So she will also be uh, running in some heats uh, tomorrow as well. So good luck to all of our Wildcat track and field athletes that are going to be on display in uh, in Eugene this week and this weekend. Uh, as I mentioned, it's going to be on the, the ESPN networks, whether it's ESPNU, ESPN2, ESPN Prime. Uh, just check them all, and uh, you can watch some of the U of A athletes if you're interested in the, uh, in the track and field events. And 
Wildcat football gets a commitment yesterday. Uh, another another big time commitment. This is you know after following their their big recruiting weekend. I had Matt Moreno on yesterday, of course, to talk about Wildcat recruiting. We talked a lot about basketball, but we did talk about football as well. As there's not a whole lot to report yet. We have some you know some crystal ball predictions, but nothing to really produce until yesterday when Carter Stoutmeyer, a uh, three-star corner from Plano, Texas, decided to give his commitment to Jed Fish and the Wildcats. Now, Dwayne Walker was his uh, was his lead recruiter, and it's a good thing because Dwayne Walker coached his dad, Omar, in the NFL. I remember Omar Stoutmeyer. Um, he, played, he played a long time for the Giants. He played several seasons for the Giants. In fact, he started like, I think he started like 40-some games for the Giants in his career. He started 60 games in his career. Uh, was a good player. Re- returned kicks early in his career uh, for the. Uh, he played for the Cowboys. He was drafted by the Cowboys, um, but he was returning kicks for the Cowboys back in the day. In, in the in the you know first couple years of his time in the NFL, he he had a pretty lengthy NFL career. As I mentioned, had sixty starts. Was very productive in the NFL. Um, was a starter for a, a Giants team that went to the playoffs. That lost to the Forty Nine ers. Jeff Garcia with a uh, final drive touchdown in the uh, in that uh, in that playoff game. And really exciting with 39-38, I think, was the final of that game. But uh, so Carter Stoutmeyer, glad to have him on board as he gives his commitment to the 2023 class and uh, good to have another corner. This is the third defensive back that Arizona has gotten a commitment from the 2023 class. So good to see on that. That gives them seven total now for the 2023 class. And with the NCAA's removal of the 25 uh, scholarship you know, cap for year year to year. It's going to be real interesting to see how many Jed Fish is able to sign for that 2023 class. He tweeted out the you know the dancing cactus with with the the, the, the number seven on it. Uh, so we'll see how many of those kids from that big recruiting weekend this past weekend decide to uh, give their commitments. And again, I'll, I'll I will I will hold off on any news until it actually becomes official. I want to I want to let these kids have their moment in the sun. Uh, to be able to, you know, to, to post it on Instagram or Twitter or however they feel necessary. But, uh, you know, don't want to steal any of their thunder. This is their time, and I want to allow them their time. So good news for Wildcat football, and good luck to our Wildcat track and field athletes. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll start talking some NFL. And a topic that I has, have been thinking about for about a week now, It's there's 12 NFL teams that have never won a Super Bowl. Okay, Think about that over the break. See if you can name all 12 of them. But when we come back, I'll tell you which ones I think are closest to removing that little demerit on their resume. We'll talk about that next right here on The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to The Jeff Dean Show. Lots to get into today. As I mentioned, uh, we've moved Tyler Drake from the 7.30 uh, appointment to the 8.30 time slot because uh, Cardinals, oh, the uh, Cardinals minicamp, they changed their, their schedule late last night and uh, want to make sure that, uh, that we give him the time that he needs to, uh, you know, to get through uh, you know, his commitments there, and then uh, we'll get him on at 8.30 to talk some Arizona Cardinals football because plenty of stuff to talk about there. Now, Something that I was thinking about last week, I put together my list. I was like, okay, who are all the, all the teams that have never won a Super Bowl? Because I'm just always thinking about these kinds of things. There are 12 of them, 12 teams 
to have never won a Super Bowl, franchises essentially, to have never won. Quick, can you name them all? Just kidding. Um, but there are, in fact, 12. And, my, you know, my task was to kind of decide who I think is actually closest to removing that giant monkey from their backs because that's, you know, that's something that is ever-present. And some of these teams, some of these franchises have a colossal-sized, King Kong-sized gorilla attached to their back in regards to that. And, you know, they might be really, really gunning for, for one just because of that alone. Now, my teams 8 through 12, as far as like, because I, I ranked them all essentially on, on who I think is closest to winning uh, that Super Bowl and, you know, getting that, you know, that mark off of their, off of their resume. Teams 8 through 12, I, I didn't really rank them just because they're all train wrecks in their own special way. Those teams are the Carolina Panthers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the uh, Atlanta Falcons, the Detroit Lions, and the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are an absolute train wreck. They are a dumpster fire. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever you know, cliche you want to use, the Houston Texans are really, really bad. Uh, they are by far, in my opinion, the furthest away from winning a championship in the NFL. Like, they don't, they don't have a prayer. They're, they're a long ways away from being any good. And if their history has proven anything, they're not exactly a very well-run organization either. In fact, they've never even advanced past the divisional round in the playoffs before. Uh, they're, they're just a team without a lot of direction right now, and they have been for quite some time. Now, they continue to develop players time and time again and then watch those players leave uh, for, uh, you know, for greener pastures. So Texans by far in the worst position. Other than that, those other four teams, Panthers, Jags, Lions, and Falcons, they all have their own problems. Obviously, history is some of them. Uh, you know, some of those teams have never even played in a Super Bowl. The Detroit Lions, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've never appeared in one. The last time they went to a conference championship game was in 1991. So it's been a while. I mean, they, they've, they've sucked for a long, long time. The Falcons, of course, have actually played in a couple of Super Bowls, most recently against Tom Brady and the Patriots. We all know what happened in that game. The Jaguars are kind of their own special train wreck, although I think like the, the changes that they've made in the last couple of years, obviously hiring Urban Meyer was a colossal mistake. They have appeared to switched on that because now that Doug Peterson is their head coach, I, I like Doug Peterson. I, I don't know what I really don't know what exactly happened in Philly. Uh, you win a championship and then two years later you're out because you, you, you just don't have the passion to coach there anymore. I don't, I don't understand. You know, they got rid of all the players and a oh, weird situation. Regardless, I think Doug Peterson is a brilliant coach, uh, and I think that Trevor Lawrence is a brilliant quarterback. That team, uh, aside from the fact that they have all kinds of other troubles organizationally, I think is is in a good situation. And then you know the Carolina Panthers, who uh, have some talent. I I do like Matt Rule, although. I'm beginning to think that I was wrong on my assessment of him as an NFL coach. They don't have quarterback, though. I mean, right now you're looking at Sam Darnold as being your starting quarterback. That's not that's not good. Um, and, you know, that franchise has been to a couple of Super Bowls. They lost to the Patriots in one of the most exciting and untalked about Super Bowls in history. Uh, and then they lost to, uh, uh, was it Peyton, it was Peyton Manning, right? Yes, to Peyton Manning in Super Bowl 50. 
with the uh, with the Broncos. So, um, okay. And now my next team. I started ranking them essentially. I think the Minnesota Vikings are seventh on this list. I think they're seventh furthest away from that. And again, the the teams in these like the next four teams in this block all have excellent rosters in my opinion, but they have some questions specifically at quarterback. The, the Vikings, I think they've put together a you know a really good roster. Once again, they've had a good roster. They lose Xavier Woods, huge loss for them. They lose Anthony Barr, huge loss for them. He's he was a better pro than I expected him to be out of UCLA. Um, and they didn't really replace him with a whole lot. They got a, a Zadarius Smith from Green Bay, who, you know, nearing the end of his NFL career. And they brought in Jordan Hicks, who I like a lot. I have a lot of respect for Jordan Hicks, and he's going to produce for them. But I don't know if he's a real difference maker. Of course, obviously the issue there is with their quarterback. And I think if, if they end up not making the playoffs this year, if they squander this year, I think they, they have the potential of blowing up that roster completely. So I put the Vikings at seven. I put the Browns at six. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Cleveland Browns. They're the only franchise – to have never played in nor hosted a Super Bowl because Cleveland, the city of Cleveland has never hosted a Super Bowl either. So there's a little trivia for you. Again, a team with a, an extremely talented roster, lots of questions, especially at quarterback, and just their overall organizational direction. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, aren't familiar with, with the direction that they're going. They, again, they have good play. You know, they have good pieces. They appear to be able to draft good players and and attract free agents but they can't win so uh, that's why i put them at sixth number five i have the cardinals i still don't believe in cliff kingsbury as a head coach we've seen uh, he, you know him falter once teams kind of figure things out his inability to expand and and uh adjust throughout a season has been an issue we've seen them fall apart at the end of seasons and they have a quarterback who is very immature in his actions, who is demanding top quarterback money without a single playoff win. And if you watch the way that he played in that playoff game, we've talked about it uh, several times on this show, uh, in that game against the Rams, he was he, you couldn't have played worse than Kyler Murray did in that game. Again, a team with a good roster, although I think offensively this year, could be there there could be some problems offensively for the Cardinals this year. So I put them at five, and the only reason I didn't put them at four is because I still have some belief in the Tennessee Titans and Mike Vrabel. I like Mike Vrabel as a head coach. I think Tannehill's year last year certainly abysmal, but that was a lot of it was because of injuries and things like that. Now they missed they're missing a lot of players from that uh, from that roster last year, and I think that it's a situation where they. Are, are going to be a fringe playoff team. But I think that they are that one team that is closest without being in the top three. And when I give you my top three, you'll understand why. Great roster, questions at quarterback, and uh, some other questions about the future of that roster as well. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll lay out the top three teams, top three teams who I think are closest to getting that bugaboo of no Super Bowl wins off their back. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so we're counting down my list of the 
teams, the NFL teams, who are closest to getting their first ever Super Bowl win for the franchise. I've gotten to my top three. These three teams are winless in Super Bowls or, or, you know, have never even gotten to one, uh, although these three teams have all gotten to one, one of them a long time ago. Number three on my list. Now, three and two were difficult for me. Number one was easy. Numbers three and two were difficult because one team has an exceptional roster and, and in my opinion, a better roster than the other. The other team has the better quarterback. Number three, I'm going to go with the L.A. Chargers. I do believe that they have a superior roster to the uh, number two team. I do believe that their roster is also one of the the best in the entire NFL. I am still not 1,000% sold on Justin Herbert the same way that everybody else is. I still think that there are potential for all of the all of the things that we saw in college and some of the things that we were talking about that were negatives about Justin Herbert coming out of college, I still think could could potentially rear their ugly head. However, I'm rooting for him. I want him to do well. I want to see great quarterback play in the NFL, and I think that the Chargers are extremely close to getting there. They're playing in the most difficult division in the history of the NFL, though, this year, and I think that the other two teams are just a little bit closer. Number two on the list, the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, lost the Super Bowl in you know last year's Super Bowl. They did lose. Uh, they lost their their starting center Trey Hopkins in the offseason, so that's you know potentially a problem. And they lost their tight end C.J. Uzuma, uh, who was also a big target for Joe Burrow. But you know me. I mean, they signed Hayden Hurst, so I, I like I like Hayden Hurst, and I thought they made some upgrades on the offensive line in this offseason. You know me and my love for Joe Burrow. I think he's fantastic. I love everything about his game. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL already, and there's a reason why they got to the Super Bowl last year in a very, very competitive and loaded AFC and will be competing again this year and have a very good opportunity for another shot at that Super Bowl title. And they're close. They're real close. But not as close as my number one team. And, yes, the Buffalo Bills, four-time losers in the Super Bowl, of course, we, you know, we're all familiar with their story uh, from back in the day with four consecutive losses in the Super Bowl. They did lose quite a few pieces this offseason. They lost Levi Wallace, their you know, the fantastic corner. Cole Beasley, who was a, uh, you know, an excellent receiver for them. They lost Manny Sanders, another receiver. Jerry Hughes, who's been a productive pass rusher for them, they lost. They did, however, bring in Von Miller, Jamison Crowder, and some other, you know, some other players that I think are going to fill in some of the gaps as well. And they have one of the absolute best quarterbacks in the NFL in Josh Allen. They were so close last year. We know how competitive they are. They just need to clean up some things. I believe they have the right head coach in place. Uh, I believe that they have, you know, excellent assistance under that proper head coach. And I, I just feel like the Buffalo Bills, and I, I, I'm not alone. I'm sure most of you would agree that the Buffalo Bills, out of the 12 teams that have never won a Super Bowl, are the closest to winning one, even though the Cincinnati Bengals were in the Super Bowl last year. I still think Buffalo, the better team, the better quarterback, the better coach, and the better everything, in my opinion. Uh, and I think if those two teams were to play, uh, <laughs> I would know who to root for, but it would be a fun one nonetheless. So there you go. Those are uh, That's my list of the 12 teams without a Super Bowl that are closest to winning one. Coming up in hour number two, more NFL talk. We have news and notes on the Deshaun Watson case. Um, the Broncos officially have got a new owner. There's been some no-shows at mandatory minicamps. 
and we'll talk with Tyler Drake of the uh, Arizona of Arizona Sports, our Cardinals insider, coming up in hour number two as well. Stay tuned. Just a quick little two-minute turnaround. We'll toss it over to ESPN for a sports center. We'll be right back here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. K285DL1049 FM Tucson. And KMXC HD4 Tucson.